Well, happy Father's Day to everyone. It's good to, to be seen by you. I, um, I want you to know that um, I have two boys at home, and uh, we're at the stage with my three-year-old where he, he thinks he's sneakier than he actually is. Um, and so about six this morning, I heard a little pitter-patter, and uh, I rolled over and I opened my eyes, and he did this kind of like freeze in motion thing, because he saw me move, and he, he's staring at me, he can't see my eyes. And so I lay real still, and he stands real still, and he thinks I've dozed off to sleep. I think I fake snored twice. And so he kind of tiptoes some more and he, he freezes again because I, 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 I moved my head and, and now he's standing and, and I'm staring and I, I just, I, I hold my breath for a second. I don't know what's about to happen. I don't know if he's going to jump on me. I don't know. And he grabbed um, out of like behind a dresser, he grabbed a furniture mover. You know, those little sliders that you move furniture around. He found one of those at six in the morning and he sprinted back to his room. And I was like, what is he doing? And he's rearranging. And I found him under his blanket and uh, I opened the door and I said, hey, you okay? He goes, what, Dad? I was sleeping. So I don't know. So when I get home, we may have rearranged furniture. I'm not sure, but that's how my morning started. I hope, I hope your day is going well. We have a, a storm cloud that is trying to, to get our grass wet, but that's, that's okay. We've been, uh, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been in the book of Acts, and we're kind of trying this, this series that, that we've begun calling How to Church. The, the word church is a verb. It's not a noun. This building is not a church. Uh, you, the gathering of the the people are the church, and how we gather together really matters. What, what, what attitudes we have when we gather together, the, the focuses we have when we gather together really, really matter, and sometimes we can church better than other times, and if we're not careful, coming out of a pandemic, coming out of uh, us being shut down as well, we, we may have forgotten some of the muscle memory for how to church well, and so as we've, as we've looked in the book of Acts, we've looked at, okay, how did the first church that ever churched in the history history of churching, without any background on or books you can get on how to church well, how did they church? And we've seen some really interesting things. One is, uh, this is about five weeks ago now, but we saw that the first church that ever churched, they committed themselves to each other. They shared prayer requests with each other and they lifted each other up, which means that they were sharing problems and they were praying for those problems. They, they had everything in common, scripture says. Scripture says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. And what we do is that we open our Bibles and we read what the apostles wrote and we try to learn about Jesus. And they talked about Jesus ferociously. They, they didn't have what we consider the New Testament. So they would just say, hey, what did you guys see? Well, I, I saw some people healed and uh, I, 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 I met this new family. They want to follow Jesus now for the first time. Let's bring them over. And they would eat and they would have Lord's Supper. And that's how they did church. And it says uh, in, in Acts chapter 2 that after uh, Peter preached that first sermon, that it, there were added that day 3,000 souls. Just from, from that first uh, broadcast of the gospel, 3,000 people are like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. That's a big jump. You have 11, and the church grows from 11 to 3,000 in one sermon. So you know, if we're like marking how good this sermon's going to go, you guys need to stand up. Uh, no, no, 3,000 people. And then after that, this is what we talked about last week, after that, Peter and John, they're just going to the temple, and they're going to pray at 3 p.m., and they, they meet a guy that we, we named Edmund, but, but you know, whatever his name was, and, and, and he's never walked a day in his life, and Peter heals him, or actually just declares in the name of Jesus that he be healed, and now everybody sees this man walk for the first time, and they start asking questions, well, what does this mean? What, what should we know about that? And Peter, John, and this man, they spent the next several hours talking about who? 
Jesus. They just talked about Jesus. Peter didn't say, yeah, I'm kind of a big deal. Peter didn't kind of get a, a kind of a, a, you know, a complex that he thought he was better than what he was. All he did was, let, let me tell you about the goodness of Jesus. Let me tell you about how I felt Jesus and he forgave me. Let me tell you about the time I saw Jesus walk on water and he let me walk on water. Let me tell you everything I've seen Jesus do in the crowd just hung on every word. Because for the first time ever, someone is telling them something more than you're a sinner and you should get right with God. They're saying, a man has come named Jesus and he made it possible for us to have a right relationship with God. This is ridiculous. And so the the powers that be, they didn't like it. And you remember last week, they arrested uh, Peter and they arrested John. And then at the end, they wagged their finger and said, you guys don't talk about Jesus anymore. We want all the good stuff. Go heal anybody you want, but you guys don't talk about Jesus anymore uh, or else. Now get out of here. And they sent them away. And so that's where we're going to pick up now. Uh, We're in Acts chapter five, and I'm going to start reading in verse 12. And before I read this, they're just you know, like up or down, yay or nay. Uh, do you think that uh, Peter and John and the rest of the apostles and the rest of the church quit talking about Jesus? No, they didn't. In fact, uh, in that time that they were talking in the crowd of people, it says that there were added 5,000 people. And so the church went from either three to 5,000 or three to 8,000 because they talked about Jesus when they were told not to. You stop talking about Jesus or else. Well, we got a lot of people who like hearing about Jesus and they're healed and they're, they're, they're finding forgiveness for the first time. So in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, we begin with this. It says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. The apostles are just going around. They're talking about Jesus. More and more signs are happening, so we should, we should understand healings and uh, uh, just, just important um, uh, things to celebrate for the church. And it says, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, you may not remember this, but the, the temple had kind of a big wall around it. There were gates into it. Uh, our, our friend Edmund, he sat at the gate that's called the Beautiful Gate, but there are like six or so gates around this. And then immediately inside the gates is um, kind of a flat uh, marble area, and it had like a porch. Like we would call it a breezeway because we're in Southeast Texas and it's just a giant breezeway that they called Solomon's portico. And it's where people gathered to get out of the sun and they would talk and they would teach and they would hear different philosophies. If you were a new Jewish philosopher just on the scene and you needed to get your message out, you would just hang out in Solomon's portico and see who would want to come hear you. And Peter and John, they made it a point every day to go and stand in Solomon's portico and they would just talk about Jesus every day, even after being uh, arrested. And it says in verse 13, none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And so what you see is that this church of 5,000 plus people, they're like, you guys, you guys keep going. You guys keep going and talking about Jesus. That is amazing. We're going to hang back because we're not going to dare join you at all. And all Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles were about is like, okay, we're going we're gonna to come out here. We're going to have church. We're going to break bread. We're going uh, to pray. We're going to do church things. And then when it's time for us to go to temple where the people are, we're going to go. And the crowds loved it. The crowds wanted to hear more about Jesus. They would leave, and then they'd come back the next morning just looking for Peter, John, and the rest of them because they want to hear more about this Jesus. Verse 14, it says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. That's very important in the first century that the women would be allowed in the crowd to listen. They, they would separate men and women. They still do. If you, go, if you go to the temple right now, there's what's called the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall. And it's, it's just a piece of the wall that was, existed then. And people gather there to pray today. Right now, it's in Jerusalem. And they have a little fence separating the men's side from the women's side. And it's like 
75% men's space and 25% women's space, they still separate. But here you have Peter and John, the gospel that they shared, men and women are gathering together and they, they want to hear. They want to hear what Jesus has done. So that they even carried, verse 15, out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. That's the same kind of stuff they did when Jesus was around. Um, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You have kind of um, a group of people, they're churching for the first time, and the crowds are cheering on Peter, John, the rest of Matthew, the rest of the uh, apostles. They're saying, we love hearing what you're doing. Every time they would come back to church, they would share. Let me tell you a new person who came to the Lord. You know that tax collector? You know that person who was really, really sick? You know that person who had leprosy? Uh, they were healed and, and the Lord saved them and now they want to come to church. And so every day you would gather in the room like we are right now and there would be a new person, a person who was a jerk last week but is saved by the grace of Jesus this week and we would all celebrate that every Every single time. And yet the apostles, they would keep leaving and they would keep going and they would keep teaching at Solomon's portico and more and more people were gathering over and over again. Now, last time they were arrested, they were warned. What was it? You can do whatever you want. Just stop talking about Jesus. What do they do? They go to Solomon's portico and they just talk about Jesus. They keep doing, uh, despite the warning, despite the wagging of the finger, despite they having been arrested, despite the fact that it was Peter's worst nightmare to be arrested in the name of Jesus and now it's happened to him. He's like, what else are you going to do to me? I mean, I guess you could kill me, but I'm going to keep talking about Jesus. So in verse 17, it gets hairy again. It says, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. They're just, they don't like seeing what's happening. They don't like that the people are turning to Jesus and the message that Peter and the rest of them are sharing. Filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So here's second time that they are arrested. But it says in uh, verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now, things are getting a little sketchy. They're, they're arrested now time two. This is strike two. If you're, if you're part of the three strike law, you get life in prison or something the third time. Second strike, they're arrested for talking about Jesus and, and they're put in the public prison and it's again, it's an overnight trip, just like last time. Um, except this time, instead of them spending the entire night in prison, scripture says that an angel of the Lord opened the gate and said, hey, uh, you guys go back to Solomon's portico and just keep talking about Jesus. And so Peter, John, and the rest of the apostles that are with them, they, they get up and they go and do the very thing that they were arrested for doing. Now, if you're a, um, you know, uh, the temple guard, if you're the Pharisee, if you're the Sadducees, your mouth is watering for the next morning. The sun's going to come up. You're going to finally get your chance at Peter and John. Those scoundrels keep talking about Jesus. How dare they? I can't wait to just light into them. What are we going to do, guys? Let's all, like, let's get together. And they probably had like a little party. Like, yes, today's the day. We've arrested them. And now we're going to get to talk to them and maybe threaten them. But they've been turned loose. Verse man, 21. And so they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And now when the high priest came and those who were with them, they called together the council, all the senate, and all the people of Israel. They're getting the whole, the whole band together uh, to have court. And they sent to the prison to have them brought. 
Verse 22, but when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. Why didn't they find them in prison? The angel had turned them loose. You know what I would do if an angel came and turned me loose from prison? I would just, I would, I'd run like Forrest Gump. I mean, straight to Greenbow, Alabama. I am gone. Like, we, we're going to take off. I, I don't know what's going on. This is the second time I've been arrested. I'm kind of getting a reputation. I can go pick up shop and go to like Galatia or something at this point. They don't even know me in Galatia. I can start a new church. Peter, Peter at this point, it would be easy for Peter to think he's kind of a big deal, right? You know, the people will protect me. I have, I have 8,000 people who have been healed and they're laying down, they're letting my shadow fall on them. It would be easy for Peter to start to think more of himself than he ought. But Peter, John, the rest of them, they just said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go back to what you were doing and start talking about Jesus. And so they are. And it says, they found the prison, verse 23, uh, securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them. They're like, what? What is going on? Wondering what this would come to. The people we've been threatening have now broken out of prison somehow, is what they're thinking. Uh, and nobody knows about it. Nobody knows what's happened to them. Any, they could say anything. They could say whatever they want. They're greatly perplexed. And it says in verse 25, and someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people the very thing you've told them not to do. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So what you have is the, these group of men, all they've thought about at this point, and remember the church is like two and a half, three months old at this point. All they know is that we're going to talk about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus until we're blue in the face. And the more they talked about Jesus, the more people were healed. They were arrested now twice, threatened, do whatever you want. Just stop talking about Jesus. Stop bringing him up. Stop making all of this about Jesus. Just heal the people. Just do the good things. That's all you need to do. And they said, no, I can't. I, ha I, I know nothing else. I get no other peace, no other satisfaction other than talking about Jesus. Because it turns out, if you've not picked up on the theme yet, Jesus is the main point of all of this. Jesus is the main point of the church in existence. Jesus is the main point of our boy Edmund being healed. And Jesus is the main point of all those unclean spirits and all those people being healed. Jesus is the main point of them bringing people out. It's not the healing that is the main point. It is the salvation through Jesus. Hey, those guys that you arrested, uh, that they broke out of prison, it turns out that they're back over there doing the thing you told them not to do. Go get them. And so the guards, they went and got the apostles. And they were kind of scared. They didn't bring them by force because they were worried the people were going to attack them. Um, but they did get them back. It says in verse 27, when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Remember the, the whole band that they got together now gets their chance. And the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet... Here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And so the, the, the threat here, uh, the high priest believes that you're trying to make everybody think we're the bad guy. You want, you want everybody to think we're the bad guy, you got to stop talking about Jesus because we've already arrested him, we've already dealt with him. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit, whom you, uh, God has given to those who obey him. And that's the end of Peter's response. 
Um, Peter's response is simply, let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you what he's done. He's forgiven us. And he offers forgiveness to any who repent in the name of Jesus. The same Jesus that you hung on the cross as a criminal, but he's offering you guys repentance. The, the high priest is listening to this and he's being told forgiveness for the wrong that you've committed is an option. That's very different than how Christians respond to political powers right now, right? I don't know if you guys are on Facebook, surely that you've gotten so disgusted with that you've turned it off. But if you haven't, here's what we see a lot of times. You have one political side saying this other thing, and then the Christian will respond like, well, you know, you're a heathen and a heretic because you don't believe in whatever, social welfare, or uh, you, you, you believe in uh, 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 choice uh, over, over life. You know, I'm pro-choice, I'm pro-life. Well, we get on there and we see Christians and they argue their points and they leave Jesus out of the equation They just wear Christianity as a badge and try to morally get into a boxing match with somebody else who disagrees with them. Peter and John and the rest of the apostles did not take that strategy right here. They could have taken the moral high ground and said, you guys murdered him and we told you not to and how dare you. But but he says, yeah, it was the man that, that you hung on a tree. But today he offers forgiveness because you know what? It's more important that they get the point about Jesus than they get the point that you were right in what you were arguing. Our political views are not more important than Jesus. Our, our hope for our nation and our hope for our, our, uh, our state, our hope for whether or not COVID vaccines are, are appropriate or inappropriate or we should be wearing masks or we shouldn't be wearing masks, all of those are valid discussion points. But when we raise that up as kind of the, the, the main thing that we need to talk about, we have missed the point, church. The main point was then and still is now, what do I have to do to get the point of Jesus across? We can talk about different pieces, but Jesus has to be the main point. And if any of our discourse, if any of our way of treating our in-laws or uh, our, our social like discussions, if we're getting lost in the weeds because we're in a boxing match over I'm right and you're wrong or I don't want you to be right, how dare that person talk about me that way, and we've lost the main point in that conversation, which is Jesus, we should, we should take a step back. We should pause and we should reflect. So Peter, John, they are speaking now to the same guy who's arrested them twice and they're, they're saying to him, you're telling me to stop talking about Jesus and I'm telling you I'm not gonna do anything but talk about Jesus. I'm gonna listen to God. I'm not gonna listen to you. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, he's offering you high priest and you Sadducees and you the temple guard who just arrested me. He's offering all of you for the same forgiveness. It's all available. Well, they didn't like that. Verse 33 says, when they heard these things, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. I bet as he was talking, if you ever talk to someone and their face is just turning red, they've stopped listening to you for a while and like a little bit of steam comes out and he gets a little tick in his eye, starts twitching a little bit. Like as he's talking, this guy's like getting enraged. He's ready to kill him. Um, Except unlike in our circumstances, uh, these people actually have the power. This guy could just be like, and uh, you three, just kill them all. It'll be straight like out of Star Wars where the Jedis get wiped out. Any nerds in here? You know that scene? My wife is like, how dare you bring that up? They're enraged and they wanted to kill them. And so in this most heated moment, something that has not yet happened, this is where it changes from what happened last time they were arrested. 
In this most heated moment, verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, uh, I just assume his parents didn't you know, want him to have a good life. Gamaliel, I'm sure that means something beautiful in Hebrew. Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Hey, 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 guys, can we take these Christian Jesus followers? Uh, set them outside. Let's have, a, let's have a talk before the whole murder piece happens. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody and a number of men, about 400 joined him. He was killed and all who followed him were dispersed and it came to nothing. Then after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you won't be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. That is some really sage wisdom right there. This Pharisee uh, named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, I'm going to get that down by second service. He looks around and he says, you know what? If, if what they're doing is just made up stuff, it's probably going to fail, just like it happened with Thutis and just like it happened with uh, Judas. Let me tell you, I had to do some history uh, checks that, because Thutis and, and this Judas aren't mentioned anywhere else in scripture. This is their only place. Um, but there was a historian in the first century named Josephus. He wrote about them and tells what they did. Let me tell you what crimes they committed. Um, and now Peter and John are being arrested and kind of being charged with the same thing. Uh, Thutis, uh, he believed himself to be Messiah. He believed himself to be the Christ, the chosen one. Um, and he shows up on the scene. He starts telling everybody, I'm the one God has prepared for you. I'm the one who's going to rescue us all out of the Romans' hands. Uh, you guys follow me. We're going to go down to the Jordan River. And what's going to happen when we get to the Jordan River, I'm going to part the river God's going to part the river in front of me, just like Moses did. And we're all going to walk through the Jordan River together. And we're going to show up on the other side. And when we get to the other side, we're going to be able to fight the Romans, right? We're going to kill them. You guys want to kill the Romans? Come on. And he got 400 people to follow him with that message. <laughs> 400 people like, yeah, why not? Yeah, he seems like he could be Messiah. I don't know. And so on the way to the river, the Romans are like, wait a second. You got 400 people trying to overthrow us. And so they sent some centurions to go and like try to talk them out of it. And so the horse you know, runs up there and they catch up with Thutis before he gets to the Jordan River, before it parts. They're like, hey man, you, you don't want to do this. Get back, just go back to where you are. And Thutis, like, I guess he has to be a big man. So he gets into a fight with the guard. And so the guard calls his other soldiers and they just wipe out all 400. All of these people died. People were running, scared. Turns out he's not really a big deal. Turns out he was a fake Messiah, Thutis. Judas, uh, this guy, Judas, that he mentions, uh, he believed that the reason why the Romans have power over the Jews is because we keep paying taxes to the Romans. If we stop paying taxes to the Romans, they can't even afford to be here and we can run them out. So if you are going to be a true Jewish man, you stop paying taxes, you stop contributing to the, the bad guys. And uh, if you were like, I don't think that's a good idea. You're a business owner. You're like, I'm going to keep paying taxes because I feel like God wants me to. Judas and his crew would come burn your building down. And so it was really kind of militaristic, uh, I don't know, kind of super angry guy. And so a lot of people didn't like him. He had a few hundred people show up. The Romans got mad at him and the Romans just came in and was like, oh, well, we, we can stop you. They flexed a couple of muscles, killed a couple of guys, and those people scattered. And what Gamaliel, Gamaliel is saying Hey, you guys, remember Thutis? Remember Judas? They were saying all kind of nonsense. 
And we knew it wasn't from God. And, and the Romans came in and they took care of it. Guys, if, if God isn't a part of this, somebody's going to come in and do something about it. We actually don't have to commit murder at this moment. But what if, what if they really are from God? You're not going to be able to stop them anyway. If God is behind this whole Jesus message, this new Messiah, if, if God is really the one who's healing Edmund, if God is really the one healing all those people in the streets, if God is really the one who's a part of the now five to 8,000 people who are calling themselves the church, if God's really a part of that, there's nothing you can do to stop it anyway. In fact, if you tried to stop this, guys, you might even be found opposing God. That is a really sage and smart insight that this guy has. And so all of his friends, the high priest and the Sadducees, they, they all agreed that let's not do that. It says you might even be found opposing God in verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, it says they, so they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Okay, we're not going to kill them, but let's bloody them up. And they just had a good old fist fight. They jumped them, beat them, knocked them around and said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus, and let them go. It says in verse 41, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They get the fire beat out of them. They've been threatened. Their nose is bloody. Maybe there's a broken bone or two, who knows. It's a really bad day. They've spent the night in jail, and then they get beat up the next day. It's a really, really bad day. And if their convictions were super soft, if they, if they didn't believe really that Jesus was the main point, that would be kind of the end of it right there, right? But they're beat up, and as they're talking about it on the way out, hey guys, isn't it great that Jesus thinks that we're worthy enough to suffer this dishonor too? Isn't it great that we that God thinks that we can handle this, that we, that we would take a beating just like our Savior had? Like, this is good news, guys. And Peter's saying there's like blood coming out of his mouth. John's in the corner crying, I don't know. Like, it's, it's a really weird, transparent moment. It's the first time a follower of Jesus is beat up for following Jesus. And they stand back and they take it in and they ask the question, is Jesus still worth it? And they say, yeah, he's more worth it now. We get to look a little bit like Jesus right now. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And so, you, of course, you know that they just quit talking about Jesus after that point. No, verse 42 says, And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They just kept going with their bloody bruise. They're limping along uh, and, and they get in there and like, okay, are you guys going to stop talking about Jesus? Absolutely not. We're going to talk about Jesus more. I'm going to talk about, I mean, he is the main thing. And they went from house to house talking about Jesus. They can't shut down the gospel. And they want to. They want to stop what's going on and they can't. Because the first church that ever church says Jesus is worth being dishonored. Jesus is worth being arrested overnight. Jesus is worth being threatened. Jesus is worth everything. Because what we're seeing in the church is that families are being restored. People are being healed. And things that never should have been possible are, are coming back to life 
Jesus is making something new. He is worth it. Three things I want to kind of close with and, and, and ponder as, as we're the church. What, what I hope is that we're doing is that as we look at the first church that ever church, we're taking notes, mental notes maybe, and we're thinking, I want a church like that. I want to be that kind of church. When we gather, I want Carpenter's Way to be that kind of church. Gamaliel's warning was that, that if, if this work is from man, it's definitely going to fail. But if it's from God, you can't stop it anyway. I think that's a really good measurement of what's working in our community, what's working in Carpenter's Way. The works of God will not fail ever. But the works of man probably will eventually just fall apart. If, if we want to be a gathering that, that God is going to bless and God is going to move and do something in our community, there's nothing we, we can do to add to that except just say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you and I will do whatever you want me to do. God, you're, you're calling me to be a part of a ministry. You're calling me to step out on faith and open my home as a community group. God, you're calling me to get with someone in this room and pray with them. God, you're calling me to pray for a student right now. Um, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, the only right response is yes, because whatever God is about will not fail. You want to be a part of the winning team, just be a part of whatever you see God doing in the community and the people around you and say, yeah, I'm going to be a part of that. God's breaking your heart to be a, a, a foster parent, maybe. I'm just throwing things out there all of a sudden. And, and you're, you've just been thinking about, like, I really think God wants me to adopt, or I really think God wants me to open my home as a foster family. You probably should, okay? Pay attention to the things that are breaking your heart. But the things that God is about do not ever fail. Now, it may have been a surprise to you that Thutis and Judas and uh, there are others, they all claim to be the Messiah, they all claim to be the Christ, and yet you have never heard their name. If, if, if Luke did not write that in the book of Acts, we wouldn't even be discussing them right now. Do you know why? Because they're meaningless. They were nonsensical people that wanted to bring all kind of glory on themselves, and God was never a part of it, and it failed. Every time a fake Messiah rose up, it failed. How is it that a carpenter from Galilee, Jesus of Nazareth, who has no home, who, who has nowhere to lay his head, how is it that we are gathered in a room right now singing praise to the name Jesus? Oh, it's because God's a part of it, that's why. He is the real Messiah, and he is the power by which we are seeing our families healed. He's the power by which we have seen salvation. He's the power by which we have found peace with God. The works of God do not fail. They will not fail, but the works of man probably will. Will. Uh, I pronounce that strangely for some reason. The second thing is uh, faithfulness leads to contentment, not circumstances. Faithfulness to do what God has called us to do, not the outcome, not the circumstances, not where we found us, lead us to contentment. The apostles, especially Peter, his worst fear a few months before this is that he would be arrested and beat up for the name of Jesus. Now he's arrested for the second time, beat up for the first time for following Jesus. And he's still like, it's worth it. Isn't this great? We all got beat up just like Jesus got beat up. He is content not because the outcome is what he wanted. He's content because in his faithfulness, all he knows is I've been saying yes to Jesus and I did exactly what he asked me to do. Who cares what happens to me? Who cares that I get the fire beat out of me? Who cares that I get made fun of at work because I continue to be faithful to my Jesus? Who cares that my kids aren't behaving exactly the way that I want them to? 
Are you being faithful as a parent? Yeah. If you're being faithful as a parent, then the circumstances aren't what you need to be content. You just continue to be faithful. If you're being uh, faithful in your marriage, and you think I, a real contentment would happen if, if he or she took me out on this date and we had a great time. No, faithfulness in a marriage leads to contentment, not the outcome, not the circumstances. We need more men and women. And on Father's Day, we need more dads. We need more, more, more moms that are just faithful to show their children Jesus, to show their spouse Jesus, and say, I'm going to, I'm going to serve Jesus in this marriage and in this relationship, and, and I, I, I'm going to find contentment in that. We would all be better if we serve Jesus more. And the third thing is, is this. The, the first church, having nobody tell them otherwise, made Jesus the main point. They kept Jesus in the center and in focus as every reason for what they were doing. In a few uh, chapters, you're going to see that the church so far has not left Jerusalem, and they're going to be forced to leave. And they're going to have to figure out how to church again, even though they're no longer centrally where they were. What would happen if right now... um, I don't know, a storm or like some kind of political change happened and you're no longer allowed to meet and gather Carpenter's Way in Groves, Texas, either due to circumstances that are political or, or whether you can't meet and gather right here and you have to just go wherever you're from. You go to Arkansas, you go to, you go to, you go to, you know, Delaware, you go to Louisiana, you just, you just disperse. Do you stop being faithful to your Jesus in those moments? If he wasn't the main point, then you might. If the main point of us gathering together is just that we get to hang out and high-five each other and watch RJ ride his one wheel down the driveway, which he did this morning. If you missed that, you missed something. Uh, if the main point was just us seeing each other and us celebrating each other, or if the main point was you just coming and hearing whoever's on this stage, hearing Jesse teach, if that's the main point, it's not going to take very many circumstances before we lose what it means to be the church. But if the main point is Jesus celebrating him faithfully, serving him faithfully, finding out what he's doing in our community and just saying, I want to be a part of that. I want to follow Jesus into that ministry. Then you can be anywhere in this world. There's nothing that will stop you from being faithful if Jesus is the main point. If Jesus is the main point, marriages stay together because commitment matters. If Jesus is the main point, we serve our children and we want for them to see redemption. We, we parent gracefully and we try not to be as punitive as maybe our parents were for us. Everything changes when Jesus is the main point. Have I repeated that enough for you to understand? Like this whole sermon, two weeks in a row, is Jesus. These men and women, they saw Jesus uh, uh, heal families and they grew in ways that were scary to everybody else around them who wasn't a part of it. Inside the church, they were celebrating. Outside the church, they were like, what is happening? Judas had 400. Thutis had 100. I don't know what the numbers were. This guy, Jesus, we executed him two months ago, and the church is still growing. Can we stop this? Well, uh, it turns out Carpenter's Way represents that they did not and could not stop what Jesus was doing. And so here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you all to consider what is Jesus wanting to accomplish in this community? What do, you, what do you feel God calling you to do? What do you see worthy of celebrating in our community, 
And how can you partner along with that? Each of you will have something different, and some of you will, will do things that are inside Carpenter's Way, like join the children's ministry. Some of you will do things outside Carpenter's Way. The example I gave earlier is foster and adoption. Uh, but it could, it could be, you know, Hope Pregnancy Center. It could be just like saying, I'm praying for people. I'm going to go pray for my boss, and you call your boss once a week, like, hey, I'm praying for you. I know leading is hard. I, I don't know. I, I just challenge you, like, okay, start figuring out what Jesus is doing now in our community, and try to tag along with it. Hook your trailer to that and see where it goes. I believe the first church that ever church succeeded and grew exponentially at the rate that it did in a way that was so scary to everybody else because they just did that one thing. They trusted Jesus. They gathered together. They shared what Jesus was doing. They shared some problems that they were having, and then they saw Jesus heal some things. Then they broke bread together, and they did the Lord's Supper to remember the thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. They would gather together and say, I remember when you were a jerk to me in middle school, and now Jesus has saved you too. Come here, give me a hug. And they hugged it out, and yeah, I don't know, asked for apologies. Anybody else have a bully in middle school that would just kind of tick you off if they walked in the store next week? Yeah? What if Jesus saved them? (laughs) Let's celebrate that together. Uh, I'm going to pray. I would ask you to consider what Jesus is calling you to do, and you just say yes to that thing. And if we can help you, if if you want to talk to me or uh, any of the other staff or an elder, like, hey, I'm really thinking about this ministry and it looks like this, then brainstorm it with some folks. Um, But I really think that God is calling more of us to do uh, things in our community. Let me pray for you, and then we will watch the queue together. Uh, Father, uh, this morning, as we open your word, we thank you for the faithfulness of uh, Peter and uh, the rest of the apostles. God, we thank you that it's recorded um, and that we can see that, that even in circumstances that are unwanted, ugly, negative, uh, God, they, they were content because your spirit was on them and they were just faithful to you. Uh, Lord, uh, may, may we also be an example to others of faithfulness. Father, may we, may we keep Jesus the main point in our discourse and in our discussions with each other. May, may we keep Jesus the main point today at lunch. May we keep Jesus the main point in our decision-making and how we serve our families. Lord, I pray that, that as people look at Carpenter's Way and as people look at just Christians in our community, God, they, they, wouldn't, see, um, they wouldn't see any of us trying to take the spotlight. Um, but they would just see us pointing back to Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would heal and rescue our community from what seems to be a really dark and hard spot. Uh, Lord, we pray that more people outside of our doors would find hope in the name of Jesus. And Father, if we can be uh, somehow helpful in our obedience towards that, Lord, give us eyes to see that and a heart that's willing to say yes. Lord, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.